put the kettle on. Get torrenting some dubious films online. Join a London gang led by a man called Marlo who saved your life from a young age. It's time to savour the taste of a good bit of Kino. Um, yeah, alright, we're in, aren't we? This is uh, so was, welcome back. One. You're back oh. in the room. You're back here. <laughs> welcome back to the cube. Uh, yeah. Okay. Do you want to? <laughs> I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll get on. Yeah, this is the floor is idea. yours because you. This is this is your show and tell. You can fucking. It was my idea. You can my. tell. You can tell um, the the people about this. My idea. Nobody else's. Um. Okay. So uh, this week, uh, last week we covered. Some good films, didn't we? We looked I, at some yeah. good films. There's some good, interesting sci-fi horror pieces. Yeah. You know, a lot of interesting topics, a lot of interesting subjects, a little bit of thematic study things. you can get in there. Yeah. Now um, we're going to talk about some absolute horse shit. Hooray. And you're going to have to sit through it for about an hour, so I hope you're ready. <laughs> I hope you've got your, your snacks ready, because we're going to fucking de- dive deep this into is this. going to go straight into it. Would you... Uh, so, would- We'd have to introduce the film in question. Okay, so I watch a bit of YouTube. It's the modern age, you know, mm. internet age. We all look online. We all have, you know, we all, we all got tastes. All got tastes in YouTube. Lo- love a bit of t- Twitch streamers, what, you know, shit like that. What else are you supposed to do in current year? Exactly, Kevin. Um, now, the the thing is, uh, YouTube has a lot of ads, and I see mm. a lot of ads. It might be Alexa. It might be your Amazon. It might be any, anything like that, right? Um, the 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 main one I get, however, is for the film that we are going to see today, namely its trailer, which has popped up about I want to say seventeen times in my feed, uh, which is actually quite harrowing to think, considering how abysmal this trailer was when I first watched it. If the amount of time when you when you watch a trailer, if you can count the amount of times. A guy gets glassed in a trailer, and like each time you drank from that, you could get absolutely smashed on. Then that is not a good That's trailer because there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of glassing going on. There. I think isn't like the first thing we see in that trailer a, a, a glassing. Yes, I want to say. Well, I think I think the first bit of the trailer is actually the first bit of the film, which implied that the guy, the director of this film. Savas D-, D. Michael. I-, I don't know if his name. I don't know why you pronounce his name. I'm sorry, but um, it implied that he had a fairly decent idea of how a story should work, but that obviously didn't factor into the film because this may be the worst film I have ever seen. <laughs> it's uh, it's not a good one, is it? Yeah. It's despite although we say it's one of the worst films that we've seen, it currently sits on uh, IMDb. With a six point one out of ten, and on Letterboxd with a two point seven out of five. So generally, people actually do think this movie is well. According to IMDb, it's above average. It's fine. It's a well, relatively decently made product. Yeah, which is shocking to me because the entire like every five minutes a new problem would arise for me. 
when mm. I when I watch films, I don't look to criticize. I don't look to you know pick apart everything. But when it, it just chucks itself out and just like spews its detritus all mm. over the cinema, I've got to I've got to solve these problems. I've got to figure out. It. Okay, this is terrible. I think, um, I think when when I watched this movie a couple of days ago, you uh, I you got my entire stream of consciousness uh, while I watch this and it, it it reads like someone in an asylum writing it on the walls in their own fecal matter i feel it's that yeah. kind of level of oh okay this isn't feeling right it's a, the, it's a it's a real supplicane in the mouth of madness is this a reality moment you know i think this is what radiohead was singing about when they were talking about the bends i think i suffered from <laughs> the bends when when watching this film <laughs> And this film, it, this film really does bring you round Radiohead's the bends. It really um, does. Now, the film in question, because it's been four and a half minutes, nobody said what the well, title is. We haven't done anything title related. Yeah, is Savas De Michael's directed film, original gangster, released in twenty twenty, the bad year. Oh no! <laughs> now, um, uh, a cursed film for a cursed year. Yeah. Blessed. It wasn't blessed. There was nothing blessed Not about blessed. it. <laughs> um, there was nothing good. So yeah, uh, I watched this film a matter of days after seeing the trailer because I was just so sucked into it. I was like, you know, I've got to figure out, you know, how bad can this film get? The trailer was already misogynistic as hell. There was like fifty women getting smacked around all the time in every second of that trailer. I watched the film. It's more or less the same, but somehow it's even worse because I'm given a context. And I don't yeah. like context when the context is terrible. When the context makes you feel it, it, like immensely, inherently uncomfortable, it's just not a good... It ain't great, is it? Yeah. That ain't so, a great um, thing. It is, it's not fantastic, frankly. But no. this week, you know, we, we wanted to really sort of branch out and, and cover a film in a lot more uh, precise detail. Whether or not this film deserves it is irrelevant because, you know, you've got, you got to branch out a bit. So me and Kevin today are going to have a, a quick, you know, not even a quick, a quite a thorough look at yeah, uh, Original Gangster. Uh, mostly it's bad part because there's nothing really good about it, frankly. Um, I think I, I think I have a, I think I have one. I, I don't want to call it positive. I have one mediocre point to make about it. It's not entirely yeah. positive, but it isn't negative either. Go on. Um. Some of the actors try. Yes, they do. They um, do. Ian Reddington, I think it's Reddington. Ian Reddington tries. Stephen Gunterberg kind of tries. Kind the of guy tries. playing, um, the guy playing the inexplicably American drug dealer who talks about his pasta sauce, like tries, <laughs> and he's the most charismatic character in the film, and he's in it for like two scenes. Yeah. That's my um, only vaguely okay thing I want to say about this film because the rest of it's fucking awful. <laughs> Pretty much, I think there was like one sort of framing or one like composition that was included in the film, or like a, sh- a shot that seemed all right. The rest of it was not done well at all. No. The uh, the acting from the main protagonist was just jarring. Uh, the soundtrack may be one of the worst things I've heard, considering it, it's like chucking a bunch of genres into a blender and expecting uh, the fucking souffle. It's not good. It's it's abysmal. 
frankly. Um, but... I, I would like to uh, talk about the soundtrack for a second because <laughs> on the IMDb, <laughs> there is no credited composer. <laughs> um, which is weird because I, this this film does have like it does use licensed music in its credits, but I don't think anywhere else. Yeah, um... I think it, it's weird. It's all just like royalty. It's either royalty free like action movie music, or it's public domain classical classical music. Yeah. There's there's no like middle ground. Sometimes you'd have just have like this weird like samba music playing for like two scenes, and it just wouldn't suit it. It's it's just very strange. This film is very strange because you can tell it wears its influences on its sleeve. I mean, Kevin can get into this being a fan of Guy Ritchie. Yeah, I um, like I I like a lot of Guy Ritchie's films, especially some of his early stuff. Um, but most recently, the film that I kind of sprung to mind when watching this was The Gentleman, which came out um, 2019, so a year before uh, this movie. And, like, I couldn't stop thinking when watching this was, oh, I've seen this in a Guy Ritchie movie. Oh, this is a thing from a Guy Ritchie movie. Oh, Guy Ritchie does this exact same form of characterization where he introduces a kind of wacky guy who owns a place and he has some wacky underlings. But Guy Ritchie does it better, like... um when they introduce the there's a bakery that's introduced in uh in this in this film and the owner of the bakery his character is kind of similar to me anyway to like Colin Farrell's gym owner character in the gentleman it's the same kind of setup of oh look he's this kind of rough and tumble guy who has some underlings who he's like specifically trained and they're a bit you know that you know that they they get stuff done and then but this film kind of ruins the mystique of their characters and the idea of setting them up with this like seven minute long exposition dump about them and then yeah. it kills them off whereas in a Guy Ritchie movie you'd have a seven minute exposition dump about this character and then that character would go and do something it's yeah. uh it... and also if anyone's seen the film Layer Cake from Matthew Vaughan Matthew Vaughan's first feature film because this also takes a lot of heavy like influence from that as well, just the idea you have a a, char- a, a protagonist who doesn't nece- who kind of necessarily doesn't want to be part of the main storyline and is only brought into the main storyline because he owes someone who or he has a sort of unwillingness and he's dragged into it from a sort of yeah. misunderstanding. I feel I feel like narratives like that where they don't place an emphasis on protagonists as being or like the god given. You know, guys no. with all the skills, all the mindset. You know, they they've got it all. They're just there. You know, they they are protagonist material. That that's cool. And obviously, my boy uh, Savas really tries to go for that, but it doesn't work because like half the time throughout the film, you have a bunch of dickheads going, "Oh, he's he's, he's right special. He is. He's right. He's really really good at what he does. He's, I've got." I see something good good in the kid. This one, even though every time this kid also happens to mess everything up by not bringing a gun to a gunfight and pretty much losing most of a drug dealer's stock. So yeah, it's the, the thing is with that gunfight thing was no one fucking gave him a gun. Yeah, no the, one, the no one told him, him that he needed one. I was like, why is it? Why are you fucking shouting at him? Yeah. It's so bizarre. There's just little like weird like anachronisms like that that just don't make sense for like and just characterize our main character even worse. 
And what's clear is that it's padding. Like that, the entire time throughout that sequence where he goes back and forth in that drug deal felt mm. like padding. There was no yeah. reason you couldn't cut that down and just have the guy sensibly give him a gun in a dangerous position. Because mm. what training does this guy have? What training does my boy Caster have when all he's done is live on the streets mm. and eat unopened packets of ham sandwiches from the park bin? <laughs> I had to scavenge. The first thing he finds in a bin is like this pristine M S ham sandwich, and like there isn't even any like the box isn't even bashed or damaged or anything. It's just the some runner when bought it said, "Right, put this in the bin." Oh, okay then. Shoot. <laughs> it, it, f- fuck it. It was probably the kid actor's packed lunch. <laughs> they just they just probably asked could you could you just put that in there and then you know you can have it afterwards after the shoot is done it just you know I mean the way that Sam bullies women in this film do you think he'd like go around and bully the kid and just like go around to the kids trailer and be like well, he's like you know like kids ask for your lunch but he's like what have you got what have you got in there give it <laughs> what have you got you got pombos in there fucking put them in the bin you can eat them later yeah. eat them like a that's, that's fucking going. animal that's going for the rest of the cast. We're gonna we're gonna sell those. You're gonna keep those pombes. You can keep the apple slices. They're shit. Is that a fruit winder? You can fucking here. We can div- you can take you can ha- keep the fruit winder. But we're having the uh, the the weird comic film reel once you're done. Yeah. So I can the frame it and put it on my wall. The comic film reel that just like goes over and over again. It's the same story every yeah. time. It's always it's the same one. thing. This. Um. Does like these opening scenes are like some of the worst, yeah, setting up I've seen in a crime movie because, um, I'm thinking of Goodfellas in this kind of situation. Um, Goodfellas, you have Henry Hill, see him as a kid, you know, he's, he's his father figure, the man of the house, you know, he's like he's horrible to him, he beats him a bit, and like, oh, his mum's this kind of sort of shrinking violet hiding in the background because she's afraid of what might happen. So, you know, Henry falls in with a bad crowd, he falls in with a mob, he does favours for them, they do favours for him. And, you know, that, you know, it sets up the fact that he's got a strong tie to these criminal family because, you know, it's a give and take thing. And it feels logical for him to have sought that out. Castor, on the other hand, his parents are killed. It's kind of hinted at that his dad used to be a dealer or something. That goes nowhere. We don't see any flashbacks or anything of that happening. It's mentioned like twice, maybe. Yeah. Um, and then Castor only really gets into the into the sort of criminal underworld because he believes that someone saved his life. Where all he kind of did was shoot two guys and give him a bit of money. He didn't bring him under his wing. He didn't look after him. He just said, "Here's some dolly mixture and ten quid, and knock yourself out." Yeah. It's like when your dad takes you to the cinema and he's got a date at the mm. same time. He goes off to the date instead and just leaves you to watch uh, Muppets uh, Most Wanted and just gives you a packet <laughs> of like M&M's. Here's, here's the crispy go M&M's. Go watch the funny, the, the one where Kermit has a criminal brother who's French or something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so our, our protagonist is, is Castor. Um, it's Cameron instead is... is his character motivations and the way he's performed sort of lean into uh, Michael Michael's infatuation with Goodfellas and all these crime films, Guy Ritchie style, all that. Um, 
and he doesn't know how to capitalize on his characters and, and you know develop them in a, a way that seems sensible and you know grounded almost because he wants to seem grounded uh there's there's scenes of quite gritty violence in here that are trying to seem you know there and really caught up with the times and and the way that modern violence should be but they're not mm. delivered well at all and caster's character is just really this blank slate that wanders through each scene and you just don't feel anything for him um yeah it's yeah it's such I mean, a weird it is such a weird characterization yeah there's a lot of elements of that you you can owe to that being a problem to that the act two played him um mm. i i doubt he was given enough material and he was probably just working with what he had and sometimes he was okay but his performance wasn't stellar whatsoever and i feel like his the the way he was directed sort of lent into that um his dialogue was really poorly written. There's a lot of jarring misconceptions with Caster being a... we looking like 11 years old when his parents get shot in front of him, but the entire and time... he's illiterate. Yeah, he can't and read. He's illiterate. Just, honestly, ridiculous. Um, so, like, yeah, there's, like... like I feel like he... like Savas almost uses that fact just for, like, oh, I don't know how to tell a story in like an organic way so if i say the characters are literate characters have got to explain stuff to that character and therefore i can explain what's going on in a scene to an audience or what's going to happen in the next few scenes to the audience just through kind of like very basic exposition yeah it's um it's it's like quite it's almost quite insulting in a way it's just it insult. I I definitely say it, it insults the audience's intelligence to an extent. Mm. Um, but people seem to like this film anyway, and I, I just don't get it. It's it it's baffling. I mean, yeah, cool, well done. You have a scene where a guy glasses a paedophile. I think we can all agree that paedophiles need glassing. But then the <laughs> following scene where it's like, oh, we're going to show how Caster's grown up to be. You know, oh, he's a he's rough and tumble. He's streetwise. How do we show he's streetwise? He um, attacks a guy on ATM, doesn't look like he actually gets any money or anything, and then does a funny Heath Ledger Joker laugh um, at a couple attempting to buy street food, <laughs> and he just takes and he just takes his wallet. Like the guy yeah. doesn't even fight back. It's it's such such an odd scene. You'd think the guy would fight back in that context, but no, he just lets it happen. He just like no stares way. off into the distance as Caster runs away with no money. Practically, I don't think he doesn't even run. He like, he just strolls off. Yeah, like he just does his joker. Like, like they really um, like in those early scenes, like they really like with the hood and everything. I think they really try to go for like one of the costumes that Joaquin Phoenix wore in in the in the Joker film because he had Joaquin Phoenix had that costume where it was like. The hood, like he had the hoodie on, and it was like he was all really hunched over, and he looked quite small and demeaning. Like yeah. they, I guess they try and do that to kind of show that oh, look, he's vulnerable because he's lived on the streets. He looks a bit of a mess. Hmm. Um, but no, it just looks fucking ridiculous. And then he acts fucking like a caricature. Yeah, for that entire opening like montage, and it's so shit. I kind of got like the opposite impression. Like I kind of felt like 
the director was like leaning in with this this design of a character like his costume at the beginning to distinguish it with that at the end as a means of like showing him as being dangerous and sinister but having like a, a more human side of the knife which didn't make sense because the entire like first 15 minutes of the film as you see this 11 year old grow up to be a man who just lives in fucking Hyde Park and eats sandwiches uh, don't lend anything to be good about his character. You don't see anything good about this guy. You just see him scare a couple for no reason and don't like take pocket change from a guy in an ATM machine. It's not it's, it's not good character development. It's just it's just like it's like, oh my character's a criminal. How do I make him look like a criminal? Um I don't know, have him do criminal things. Okay, what type of criminal things? I don't know. Have him mug some people. It's, he doesn't even look like he hurts any of them. Yeah. Like, no one seems to get hurt. It's like, you could have at least shown him to be, you know, sh- you know, if you want to show him to be this dangerous guy, show that he's a bit unstable, like, physically. Show that he might, like, say when he jostles that couple right at the beginning, after he laughs, if he punches one of them, that's still more interesting, because that's like, oh, he's not only kind of, mentally unstable that we get from the laugh but he's oh okay he's quite physically volatile because he's gone and fucking biffed him in the tum yeah but the the only you know there's a lot that you can go into into delivering this kind of performance which Mm. as you said lends into um creating a character who's unstable but has a softer side that like there's there's a deep trauma underneath that lays weight to uh the humanity that's laid dormant for years but um Savage doesn't even do that. He doesn't direct his actors to do that. He just goes, "Oh right, yeah." Castor uh, drinks a lot because of the adrenaline, which was also something that was repeated way too much in the film. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah. So the 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 overview so far is this guy gets his parents killed. He he's a homeless guy. He's just loot. He's you know a vagrant more or less in London streets. Um, and he just kind of gets sucked up into a criminal underworld thanks to a kind stranger who let him live and gave him a packet of dolly mixtures. Um, yeah, like the the way that he's introduced to back into sort of Milo's life is like ridiculously convoluted because he he sees him a drug deal go on and he goes and he jostles the guy uh, the guy who's done it. Turns out the guy who's done it has kind of met him before but he's met him before in like the most contrived reason possible isn't that him and his girlfriend were in in a park oh caster was also in that park doing homeless things there's no rhyme or reason for either of those two characters to have met prior and that yeah. that scene where they you know he holds the the knife to him he holds the gun to him he steals the gun that film that scene would have been a lot more tense if these characters had no history because we're tr- if we're trying to set up Castor as quite as this, uh, this sort of force of nature character who's volatile, who's there, he's, you know, he's he acts for himself, he acts on instinct. If we show that he's got history with a guy, it doesn't feel like he's acting on that instinct anymore. It feels like he's, you know, he's just sort of doing it because of some sort of strange revenge, which I don't know what revenge he'd be going for in that scene, but that's how it feels like it's set up. It's set up like yeah. they have decades of history. Hmm. And I mean, a, a lot of the problem with the physicality in that scene is that the the way that uh, Caster pulls the gun away 
seems like, you know, it's hurried, but it implies that he's had a, a fair amount of training with firearms. But why would he have fa- training with firearms if he's just this homeless guy that doesn't talk to anyone? It doesn't it doesn't get explained. He just goes, okay. oh, yeah, the streets of London were really cruel to me, and I had to deal with, with violence in my own way with, with drink it, to stop the adrenaline. So I pull guns away from people when they try to shoot me with them. Like, it's stupid. So the whole thing with, like, this is just a general British crime film thing anyway, but, like, I feel like filmmakers who try to make British crime films don't understand that guns are quite difficult, like, or handgun, or, like, the guns that we see in this film. There's, that's, like, they're quite difficult to get a hold of in this country on account of the fact that we don't have, we have, like, very strict gun regulation laws. Yeah. So, like, that's why we have a lot more knife crime and more sort of physical violence like that. So, like, the fact that there are so many, like, guns are just, like, tre- like knives in this film is so bizarre to me. Yeah. It's like, like every, the, almost every character has a gun. Yeah. Like, the Americanization of what is, he's trying to make a very typical British gangster film is mm. just weird, because... Why? Why won't you just show a more brutal side to it? If you're going for the gritty side, why don't you just do what Lock, Stock, and Smoking Barrels did, where you treat guns with a sort of reveration, mm. in that they're hard to get a hold of, and that ultimately you have to solve problems with your fists. In this film, it's just every character has a gun. The the, the dad of the love interest just doesn't know how to <laughs> aim a shotgun later in the film, but we'll get to that in a bit. Don't worry. Um. um... Yeah. yeah, it's just guns, like just guns in these movies. It they're they're weirdly romanticized. It's almost like oh yeah, every every good criminal has one, and so every like high end criminal that we see in this movie has a firearm, and it's none of them use them properly or like discharge them much, and I don't think Savas knows how to shoot scenes with guns in them. No. Uh, but I feel like, I feel like that's going to be something that we. Uh, we will definitely come to because there are some hilarious bits of cinematography involving yeah. how guns are aimed and shot. Don't worry, none of it is good, guys. None of it is particularly good cinematography. But we'll get oh. to it. Um, um, the bar scene, the like, the bar scene near the beginning, does that come before he jostles the drug dealer in the car? Yeah, so um, <laughs> essentially what Starvas is trying to do is sort of deliver... Uh, exposition via caster's narration which is mm. just weird to begin with as i've explained because the guy is illiterate and he's using these verbose words and it's just it's strange mm. um so he, he goes to a bar and uh the, the the bartender who we see later for some reason basically explains that this this bad lad's there and for no reason at all whatsoever caster could sit anywhere else in the bar he could just have a drink anywhere else it's not his bar he just decides to go over and glass the guy, which is used as a plot element later for no reason other than, <laughs> oh, we, we ran out of uh, ideas for antagonistic motivations at the end. We'll just bring this guy back in. Who has an eye patch for no reason other than yeah. that, oh, pirates wear eye patches. Pirates are generally villainous. They make people look intimidating. Here's a guy wearing an eye patch. Yeah. It's so, so, yeah. Just the fact. I think just like the framing, like the setup of that scene as well. Like he go, he goes into a place that doesn't even look like a bar. It looks like um, it looks like a working men's club, if anything. Yeah. Like, but they, the way that they have the bar set up, they have it set up as if it's in, it's like some swanky London 
pub or like that it's like an actual it doesn't just look like a, a town hall that has a bar that got added because the committee got a bit more funding and they thought a bar would really gentrify the place and bring in some new pundits yeah. um like they have a they have the blues bar and it's it's just got this it it's just not it doesn't look like any bar you've ever seen because it just has like seven bottles lined up in the background of the same drink it looks like like some middle class's mum like middle class mum has tried to like set up a bar in like their living room or something but had no idea about how to go about interior design it looks like my neighbor's conservatory bar that he that he had <laughs> set up <laughs> it's literally it's the same like design as well and like just the barkeeper character in general i feel like it's there because it's another guy, it's like another guy richie callback and that oh in not sucking two smoking barrels there was a quirky bar owner or it's like um yeah it's like it's just calling back to the fact that like a lot of there were a lot of scenes in not stocking two smoking barrels that were set in this pub but he doesn't understand why there were so many scenes set in this Mm -hmm. pub it's because you know a pub is a it's a place there's lots of noise so if you wanted to talk about criminal activity talk in a place where most people most people couldn't hear you because of the noise levels but Savas couldn't afford that, so the only people who are in the pub are just like these four guys, one of whom has to get unfortunately glassed for the plot to who, carry on. Who, if we consider the time that this uh, that this film was made, were probably all part of one household. Yeah. So they can only have those six. That's just a general thing about this movie. It, the fact that it was made during the pan, probably made during the pandemic, really rubs off on it because then you have scenes where there's like no more than six people in a scene at once. Yeah. So you get scenes like this pub scene, and the pub feels barren because there's you know you physically can't have anyone in it hmm. because that would be illegal. I've no idea if like when that scene was shot. I'd like to kind of hmm. I'm actually fascinated by the behind the scenes for this film uh, because I just want to understand his process. But um, I've I've not seen any material online. Um, no, I, I I tried having a look last night before coming into this episode. Um, it's a wasteland. There's just nothing about this movie because who gives a shit it's awful no one wants to talk about it yeah so we've kind of gone on to a little bit of detail about the uh the set design with the bar and it's gonna it's gonna get worse so um yeah caster glass is a guy uh and he reunites with milo the guy who saved who saved his life saved my life now yeah save so the line the dialogue in this film um is tripe it's not good at all because it relies way too much on repetition when you could probably come up with a different synonym that suited that scene better and the sticking point of that argument every time is the line saved my life it is everywhere take a shot every time you will be plastered you will be smashed you'll not you'll not be able to finish the film it's it's got to be said over 20 times frankly it's it's up it's abhorrent it's such like since we're since we're at this point, what 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 do you think of Ian Reddington's performance? Um, I feel like he got a bad hand with the script, but I feel like he was he was actually trying. I feel like he tried to get a hold of his character, and I thought I thought some elements of his performance was actually good, especially like very early on before any of the misogynistic elements come in, which yeah. I can kind of see he was uncomfortable with. Mm. Um. Because yeah, yeah the it, way he like, he always hesitates before like doing those lines, and you can get a sense of 
Mm. Mm. He doesn't like it, does he? Yeah. But up until that point, he was honestly one of the best actors in the film. Maybe the best actor in the film. I'd probably say he's one of the stronger performers. I mean, have you? Yeah. Did you see Reddington? In a, have you seen Reddington in anything else other than this? No, this is the first time I'd seen him. This isn't the first time I've seen him in something. Um, oh. He's in a episode or a or a serial of Doctor Who from the nineteen eighties, in which oh. he plays a, a a clown, a sort of the in for this psychic circus. He plays kind of like the the lead clown. He's a pretty oh. interesting. What, pretty interesting antagonist. Yeah, the the greatest show in the galaxy, oh. and he's and he's quite good in that. He he gives like a really good like semi unhinged performance in that role. Um, yeah. and like I, the elements, I weirdly I can see a lot of elements of that role in this role, but in this mm. role, it's he take he almost takes it too far. He doesn't he doesn't like restrain himself enough. Yeah, because they don't set up why Milo's gone a bit odd. Or a bit kind no. of unhinged. They they just have him as, well, you've got to have a crazy, angry, kind of unstable gang leader because that's a trope that's in this big book of gangster films that I have. I feel like at at least there they were trying to be subtle with the insinuation that uh, Milo's character was uncomfortable, perhaps because he had to deal with the repercussions of letting uh, Castor live. Um, mm. But that's not really explained, and it's not really given enough detail to be a good plot element. So, no, and like the way that he, the way that he, the inconsistent way that he treats him as well. It's like even in these opening scenes, he's like, "Oh, you're showing basic forms of emotion. What are you, some kind of poof?" Yeah, which, um, and it's weird. like, yeah, and it's like this weirdly kind of uncomfortable thing of. Huh. So does the director just believe that men shouldn't show emotions? Is that what we're is that what we're doing here? Yeah. And I honestly would not put it past that that was the director's intentions, given like, yeah. other stuff that goes on in this movie. Especially because he was trying to really hammer down a realized version of violence and crime in London. Uh, I, I I definitely don't think it's too strange to assume that he was trying to make Milo seem, uh, you know. A bit before his time in terms of how yeah. men should deal with their emotions. Yeah. But then, like, like immediately after we have a scene, or it might be immediately before, I can't remember, we have the scene in which Castor, a young, you know, assumedly, you know, he probably he's probably read, obviously he's probably read modern newspapers, he's probably eavesdropped on people in that park that he kept sleeping and talking about you know, modern issues or something. So he's probably vaguely clued in. This is a very broad assumption. He's very yeah. vaguely clued in. And like, because I'm fairly sure, yeah, like I was saying, before or after this scene, we have uh, the, the graveyard scene, which is perhaps the worst part of this film. Yeah. Just because so, of um, what its intentions are and like what it, what it is. Yeah. So, contextually, um, Milo and uh, Castor reunite, and Castor decides to try and get on Milo's good side and do a favour for him involving a drug deal. Mm. So he's told to wait at this graveyard for uh, a contact of Milo's to arrive and give him a package. So, in the meantime, he's practically just asleep on someone's grave, just lounging about, being, you know, disrespectful homeless guy, number 458. Drinking Um, some alcohol. Yeah. 
And th- this woman in the background is there, and she's she's getting a little bit hacked off about his presence, mm. to the point where you realize that she was written to be a really stereotypical image of a modern like feminist. That's JW pretty much. Yeah. Um, um, it's oh like because like um he calls her darling. She points out how oh. Yo, you you naughty misogynist pink, you naughty misogynist pig. That's really sexist to call me your darling. Have you yeah. ever heard of anything called me? And like the way that he, the director, makes the actress emphasize me too, and then he just gives her a firm backhand, and it's yeah. like, oh, oh, it's this strange, really uncomfortable, almost like sickening misogyny that's that doesn't that feels immediately out of place in the film. Like it's not it's not there to contribute to anything either. Like we already know that he's a dickhead. You don't have to show it. He's a no, moron. He's a dickhead. What else do you need um, to show? You don't need to show him hitting women like that. This is weird. The only the only thing I can think of is that like, is this scene supposed to be played off comedically in a sense of, oh come on, we've all thought about doing it kind of thing and. That's the only intention I can, like, the only alternate intention I can think of for this sequence, outside of it like, just yeah. being a reflection on what the director thinks. In in the trailer, it, it was actually the only thing in the trailer that made me laugh because it just came out of nowhere and was just so exactly. stupid. The way that it's framed in the trailer is that it's like, um, it's like this sudden, oh, okay, it's comedic slapstick violence, right? Cool, and then you know you get the whole scene in the film and it's like. Oh, this is just quite sad, really. Yeah, that that was the angle I got. I also got the impression that perhaps it was the director's way of essentially trying to imply that Castor was naive and completely innocent in a world of complete like violence and chaos, and mm-hmm. that he saw that the way Milo acts around women and tried to took inspiration from that. Like he's mm-hmm. he's constantly trying to impress him. So I guess that's his own way of accommodating for it. But it, it's not really detailed enough it's not succinct it's just it comes out of nowhere no it's and it it kind of it's a good that's like it's it's like kind of a good umbrella to show the film's general issues with the way that it portrays female characters as either being these kind of you know are just shouting at you asking you to go and do things all the time and stop treating them as such or they're or they're just literal like passive sex objects or they're somewhere in between like you have um the drug dealer's girlfriend at the beginning in the park and like oh she's portrayed to be this kind of vain bitchy kind of girlfriend character and it's like oh look we we put her in the skimpiest possible clothing possible to show how much of a you know how much of a perceived slag she might be and then you have the milo's wife maria who is this impassive quiet hide off in the background literally only exists to give alluring looks at caster and then eventually sleep with him like she had none of the female characters in this movie add nothing to the plot despite there being so many of them and they're just treaders punching bags yeah i think it's um, it's genuinely uncomfortable every time savas brings a female character into a scene because he just doesn't know what to do with them I think I think Maria's character is is the most glaring example of it because there's elements we'll get into narrative wise that uh, lean into just how misogynistic the guy who directed this film must be. Mm. You can't really tell where his allegiances lie here, and it's very it's it's unnerving in that sense because 
I've not seen any of this guy's other films, but the amount of misogyny in it and the amount of needless violence against women without a message or a moral behind it, it's just weird. It's it's it, disturbing. It's it it feels like it's it feels like he's trying to do kind of like a man's man's film, but yeah. then but he he has a very limited perception of what kind of a man's man film is. He watched maybe. Like I, Guy Ritchie has been accused of like having misogyny in his films and having racism in his films. The Gentleman was a good example of that. How they, um, the way that that portrays some female characters is quite sort of just sex objecty. Like he's kind of taken that and he's assumed that like oh, that's what I I have to do in this British gangster film. I have to have female characters who are treated like shit, but that's okay because that aligns with how I think female characters should be presented anyway. Yeah. Like, I call out Guy Ritchie when he does that shit because when Guy Ritchie does that shit, it's still unacceptable. But when you know, even when like someone else does it, it's as just as unacceptable. Although mm-hmm. uh, looking at this guy's oeuvre, Sylvester Michaels, um, he he a lot of his um, I don't think he particularly treats women the best way, given that like his the two most uh, the two most recent films before this righteous villains and red devil both um kind of emphasize uh, a sexual presence so you know hooray and then literally his first film is about a bunch of is literally about a bunch of men in london who steal things so i can imagine it's literally the same as this and it has oh i'm looking at posters for this other film smoking guns and they are some of the uh, the worst posters I've ever seen. They're all, you know, character po- how movies all do character posters. Yeah. Uh, to show off, you know, oh, here's our quirky cast. Um, <laughs> these, the wow, the the cast sure are quirky here, with their like really basic uh, quotes. Yeah, we should probably mention the poster about this movie at some point and how uh, Caster never wears the costume that's. Oh uh, yeah. In this, actually, the poster's a good point. Before we continue with the plot, the poster sets the film up to be this like, like the, um, especially the the poster I kept seeing, which was the uh the yellow like the yellow one. Uh, there's a yellow poster that looks eerily similar to the poster for the first Kill Bill movie. Yeah. And so I reckon that's going to hoodwink a lot of audiences into thinking oh, this is like a Tarantino-style like quippy, ultra-violent, fast-paced um, like action comedy film. But hmm. no, it's this weird plodding tries to be kind of like a, a geezer action movie and it it just hasn't got anything. It's got no none of the visual flair that's in either of the two posters. None of the colour, none of the bright, kind of interesting character design. Yeah. It's got no too many eggs in one basket. Exactly. It's, it's got it too doesn't... many eggs in one basket. And uh, there's so many confusing design choices, especially the poster. For for me, I, I saw that poster and the thing I, I, I kind of like drew to was like, uh, I don't know, Hot Fuzz. Uh, Peg's design at the mm. end of that film, Nicholas Angel, with the two shotguns on his back. He's got all the yeah, he's armed to the teeth. Yeah, he looks dangerous. But 
we never see that costume in the movie. We never see him. We never see the two shotguns with the the happy and the sad face. No, it's just Obviously, two costume never, designs. Exactly. We never see Caster even use a shotgun. He just uses the same pistol. Which makes which makes you wonder, you know, what what was Savas's you know process in trying to design that poster or think mm-hmm. about getting someone to design that poster? What did he tell them? Did mm-hmm. he just say, "Oh, come up with any old shit"? Just, I, just, yeah. I want to get people to come see my film. If it looks like a Tarantino film, the the better. But then you're being people love it. Yeah, then you're being dishonest to an audience. Then you're just you know you're not really showing anyone anything. It's one thing when trailers spoil the entire plot, but your trailer didn't say anything about the plot at all. No, your trailer was the trailer was just a kind of weird disconnected image. It's a lot of disconnected images of violence set to a James Brown song. Yeah. Um, which you know I'm surprised that song didn't make it into the movie. Hmm. Um, like instead, like, yeah, like they could have had it as the credit song and said they get like some grime mixtape from a SoundCloud rapper who was a friend of the sound designer or something. And here's yeah. this terrible grime his song. His next door neighbor. <laughs> his next door neighbor, MC MC Skiddy MC MC Skiddy shit to come in and do <laughs> Skiddy shit. Yeah, MC Skiddy shit to come in and do this sit to drop some sick beats and some whack bars. Um, yeah. Instead of having, you know, he could have had a man's 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 world uh, at the end, and it would have been yeah. a lot more evocative, and would have actually made the, yeah, something may have been interesting. Uh. Yeah. So pepping underneath, obviously, for each scene, uh, mm. every misogynistic, every stupidly violent scene is uh, is uh, cast as dialogue, and it continues into the next scene. Um, where it means very little or continues to mean very little because it's pretty much saying the same thing each time mm. uh, about Milo saving his life and needing to pay a debt and owing something and also being, uh, you know, conflicted or traumatic about wanting to kill someone. You know, it's weird. Um, yeah. Because then... I think it's important that we talk about the first time that we actually see Caster kill someone, which is um, in a corner shop. Yeah, well, that, that's actually um, so. Um, yeah, yeah. Go, so no, go he, goes this, he goes to this drug deal, um, mm. and that goes wrong because, as I said before, it, that entire sequence is padding. Uh, yeah, the director yeah. very well could have made everything flow smoothly and have everything make sense if Milo yeah. gave Castro a gun to that dangerous encounter, but he doesn't. Okay, like those two, the two scenes that are take place in that drug den could have been very easily truncated into one. Like he goes, he talks, the guy fucking rambles on about pasta sauce and not having enough sugar in the in the pasta sauce. It's not yeah. good enough. Um, and then when he sees the deal going wrong, oh, he's remembered that he has seven bullets. And you could have done at least something interesting with cinematography, where the camera swoops to the back of his head, and then you get the first person seven bullets. Uh, sequence, yeah, and as he, you know, he, he realizes the deal is going to go wrong, so he thinks that he can make it right by just shooting his way out. That would have been at least an okay, like, interesting scene with a bit of interesting camera work. But no, it's yeah. In the middle of those two scenes, we have this bit where he goes to a corner shop, which is and the... it's the worst edited. I think it's the worst edited bit of the film. Absolutely, um, it's, it's up there, and it's. 
it's it's got perhaps the most embarrassing music choice because as soon as he goes into the corner shop this like epic video game battle music starts playing it's like yawn, <laughs> it's like fucking yawn the giant has just come in and he's got to get yeah. to the back of the shop to get the fucking um storm ruler but no it's just <laughs> some guy who's unarmed who, but he's got like a knife or something and it's like oh and then he shoots him and he falls into a fridge <laughs> The way that the camera falls, though, it's just, oh. It looks accidental. Yeah. It looks like, it looks like um, the guy, like the boom operator has stepped back a little bit too bit and knocked over one of the camera stands. Yeah. He's just, like, gently nudged it with his foot and it just all comes crashing down slowly. But because Savas doesn't know how to, like, block a scene or do anything with a scene, it's like, oh, no, that could be good. And it's like not even good. Ca- it's not even like good camera. It's like a fucking GoPro or something. Yeah, that he's just knocked over this GoPro on a cheap <laughs> tripod. Honestly, I am shocked that this film didn't leave like the sound of the camera hitting the ground in. I am yeah. genuinely surprised that it's that it was professional enough to edit that out. Oh, they they thought a little bit about the sound, even if the soundtrack was abysmal. Um, yeah, they they thought about it a bit, but like. <sighs> You just expect far worse, don't you? We'd yeah, expect you, far worse. I mean, this film has a joke about transgender bathrooms, so you go in expecting, oh, this is probably going to be awful. I've in forgotten that bit. Fantasy. Yeah, it's, that was the bit that just, like... Because I, I wasn't really paying attention to the movie, and then that joke was made, and then for some reason, my entire mind just went, right, okay, this is what we're doing now, is it? Yeah. Because he, um, he's... It's like said with such venom and such anger. Yeah, but but essentially after that scene, uh, it mm. ends the same way all scenes end with Castor walking off like a pillock and spouting exposition out of his ass. Um, he um, he suddenly has a uh, a jacket. Yeah, he suddenly has like um he has suddenly has Max Duster from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah, <laughs> and like the way and then he goes and he shoots seven people with his gun. Yeah, it's almost like the It's Always a Sunny episode where, like, yeah, it kind of is. Like, where Mac uh, gets the hockey game and then he tries to, like, like, score. Yeah, and he he, he just knocks himself out immediately. Yeah, Yeah. but I really wish that when he goes in, because that's what the seven, like, seven bullet gun scene felt like. It felt like a fever dream. It felt like it didn't happen. Because it was yeah. so poorly done. So, mm. yeah. Milo gives uh, our boy Caster this gun after realising, hey, maybe it's not a good idea to send this inefficiently trained dipshit to go and collect drugs. How can uh, you go out without a vest, Caster? Caster yeah. was never presented with a bulletproof vest at any point before this uh, 20. Maybe remind you, this is at the 25-minute <laughs> mark of the film. Yeah, I, I think it's later, actually, honestly. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm... No, because um, Gutenberg is introduced at 30 minutes, so this happens all before the first half an hour. Oh, my God. Yeah, so the seven bullet scene uh, is, is very clearly taking a little uh, a leaf out, a, a page out of Deadpool's book, quite frankly. Mm, uh, it's definitely like based on that scene from the first movie, like even down to him like, mentally counting down each each shot. Yeah, but so in comparison to that film where it's all framed well and it's mm. scored well and mm. it's performed well, 
basically, let me describe what this this scene feels like. You know when you're imagine you're at Weatherspoons and you're pissed, right? And you get up to go to the toilet and your legs are just like, whoa. You're like stumbling around trying to find the men's bathroom. That's what this scene feels like. It feels like you stuck a GoPro on a drunk pillock and just sent him in to just take everything out within the near vicinity and hope that things go well. It was awful. Also, we've got to uh, we've got to love the CGI blood blood squibs. Oh yeah, they're, is, they're, they're in great. any chief action movie, you got to have them. Yeah, you've also, not succeeded as a director if you don't have those. This the, the scene following after this sets up such a weird. It's such a weird moment because immediately after this scene, you have Milo um, chastising Castor for killing the people in the drug den. Milo is a guy who has killed before for much less. Yeah. Um, and like the way that like all the criminals in this, I like know all the criminals in this movie treat murder as this weird taboo, despite mm. us having scenes of them, I don't know, fucking murdering people. Um, it's so hypocritical to the film's own narrative. Well, yeah, I mean, as well, like, the, the the most weird thing about it was where these drug dealers were. They were just in some random, like, park shed that was just, like, exactly. distant from society. They weren't like, even, who's like, working. Away? Yeah, no one was there. No one, no one knows that would be a drug den. People, if they walked past it, might go, oh, look, it's a drug den. It's like a kind of joke. But no one, had, no one, it looks like no one's ever been in it to go and yeah. purchase drugs. And he walked out fine. So I have no idea why Milo was like, oh, okay, what are you doing committing violence? You're doing murder? Wrong. 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 I sell drugs, but doing murder? Wrong. Wrong. So It's so shit. I just cannot yeah. get over how terrible this film is. And then we we intersperse that with cliche dialogue such as uh, heroin can be two things. It can either be your best friend or your worst enemy. enemy. Stuff like that. The heroin um, that may I remind you looks suspiciously like sand. Yeah, like magic, like play sand, like like, like moon sand. Oh god! Yeah, I feel like someone's going to mold it into the shape of a starfish and then <laughs> do it on their crack spoon. Yeah. Mm, um, crack, it's crackfish. <laughs> so, so after this, we're introduced to... Uh, we're finally introduced to Gutenberg's character. Yeah. Mr. Police Academy himself plays a French man who isn't French, but is also called Jean-Baptiste. Um, yeah. Which is weird. So like they don't they don't even do anything with the fact that he's called the Frenchman. He doesn't look there's no stereotypically anything French about him. He drinks outside wine, of his name. Right? Oh yeah, he, oh he drinks wine. Oh yeah, okay. I mean, this the this, this scene where he's introduced and Milo basically says, "Oh, I've got a contact. I want you to meet him. He's very important." Whatever mm. his name is, John Baptiste Philippe. Is that it? Yeah. Yeah, John Philippe Baptiste. Uh, so they go in right. And this scene begins, and the first thing I think is, right, okay, so this criminal den is basically just Dobby's garden centre, like, five miles outside of York. What, it looks what you're literally like a garden centre that's two minutes' drive away from where I live. <laughs> like, down to the interior architecture, it's uncanny. Yeah. 
there's like plants there's like an entire like herbatorium like on the inside there's just you know plants everywhere and you're just like this is this is a compound like a a compound for keeping you know illegal people but it, it's it's where you sell fucking compost like they okay. didn't even the least they could have done was replace some of the the actual plants with like fake weed plants or something that's yeah. the least they could have done and then that would have sold that it's like oh right it's okay it's a drug compound okay that makes a bit more sense yeah like that would that would have taken no effort you could have put shit cgi in weed instead and i would have still gone right okay that's where we are then yeah it's just, it's just a shot of milo and uh caster walking for about five minutes past a guy who he, sta- oh, he almost starts a scrap with a bunch of people doing bench pressing and then he just like gets turns a corner and then there's there laughing there's for mr. no reason mr police academy himself yeah he's just laughing for no reason whatsoever I think I think probably the worst thing like that we get about the introduction of his character is the flashback sequence. So it's like, oh yeah, he poisoned this guy, and a good four minutes of that, like a good like what it feels like four minutes. It's like just Gutenberg mugging the camera with a spoon of pasta, and it's uh, yeah. awful. <laughs> it's like the worst edited thing, and they must have just told him to improvise that scene because there's no direction to it. It's just weird. This film is. So, um, well, here's the thing, right? Gutenberg's character, although he's the antagonist, is probably the nicest character in the entire film. Like, he's he's good. He does good yeah, things. Like, he treats all of his employees fairly well. He's the one person who doesn't just scream at Caster when he yeah. first meets him or anything. And, like, you know, he's sympathetic towards the fact that he can't read. Um, he looks after him. He he does more for Caster than Milo ever did. Yeah, he gets him like a house, which is basically just like a storage. Uh, yeah, it's, it's just like a storage room. Yeah, it's a storage room, but it's like still something. Like it's still yeah. a place to work up from. He's like he's, he's not even a bad person. In no. comparatively to everyone else, he's pretty good. He's all right. He has, to suffer. he has to suffer for the plot. Exactly. He's got to look at his fucking turtles. Um. <laughs> so. We're immediately after this. We're introduced to Caster's new job as a like a kind of hitman. He's a oh, hired, like a hired gun, and the first piece, first bunch of people he's got to go kill is this bakery staff. Yeah. So and we as explained that this entire scene is it's, bad. It's completely superfluous to the plot. Like this and the next, like the immediate next scene after this, which is a, like a second hit. That they add nothing. Like yeah. the bakery scene, here are these Armenian Romanian gangsters who, you know, they you know they they know how to control the police. They, you know, they're all they're highly trained. They've got really sort of these intense firearms. You know, they they know what they're doing. Oh, Castor defeats them in two minutes, and he um one of them tries to run away by jumping over a, a fence. Castor aims his gun like straight up in the air, <laughs> even though the guys basically in a straight line away from him and he shoots him in the back it's and like it's just... yeah he's <laughs> he's been playing too much csgo he's got his he's got his aimbot turned on <laughs> he doesn't need to aim yeah. um and then after this like really jarringly we then cut to um a guy who gets something for like i don't know i think he gets like drugs from an randomly open car then caster tails him 
Yeah. And admittedly, Caster emerging from the dark footpath, it's like that's shot okay and it's like vaguely menacing, except for the fact that you have a horrible dubstep remix of uh, some classical music playing over it. And then yeah. he stabs a 70s pimp. It, it's just, just there to just, it's, it's weird. It's, it, it's such a jar. It's like these scenes more so than anything are the most jarring because one has nearly 10 minutes of setup for no payoff. And then the other one is just, it feels like a deleted scene from the DVD. I was going to say the Blu-ray of this film. This film was never released on Blu-ray. It was released on it was released on DVD and video on demand only. VHS. V- get the get your laser disc. Yeah. So it, it's just it, it's just bizarre. You know, it's as if he, he decided, hey, okay, so this scene uh, where we decided to try and go for a payoff, a bit of narrative with these bakers, mm. yeah, that didn't work. I'm just going to keep that in, and then we're going to do something different from the other scenes. See what he did was he wrote the um the pun about because they keep calling drugs in this uh in this movie dough, although they refer to money as dough and drugs as dough. They wanted to keep the bakery scene in because um Savas, who also wrote this film, thought that he wrote a cracker of a pun when he was like, "Oh, they put the dough inside the bread." So, like, oh, yeah. well, fucking done, you absolute amateur. <laughs> well done. Well, fucking done. He passed his like base level wordplay exam. That well done, well done. And like immediately after these scenes as well, we have a scene where Milo. It's like the Chris. It's the Christmas dinner sequence. It's oh, oh yeah. It suddenly cuts to Christmas. Yeah. And Milo is shocked at the idea that someone's bought him a Christmas present, even though, you know, he's probably received Christmas presents from someone before in his life. Yeah, and he sat there. Just eating his Christmas dinner with his fingers, which again, as as with the the illiterate problem, which doesn't make any sense because he was like eleven when that was filmed. Yeah, you know he'd know how to use a knife and fork. I don't care if his dad was a drug dealer. Like his his mum or his dad would be taught him how to use cutlery because we're not an. And like he's probably scavenged, like you know, um, the pastas, the like the shop bought cold pastas, which have the little disposable fork in. He probably knows how to use one of those. It's, but no, we have to see him just shovel potatoes into his mouth with his bare hands, like a, some sort of animal. Are the potatoes then, because Milo just chucks them at his wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he just starts throwing stuff for no reason. He just starts yeah. throwing the dinner at his wife, and it's like it's ba- it, this entire Christmas scene is baffling because then, for like no reason, Maria goes and gets a gun, and it's like right, that's not set up at any point before this movie. We don't know who Maria's dad is at this point. We find out later that her dad was a hitman, yeah. But up until this point, we know nothing about her past, nothing about who she is. We so for the fact that she goes and she gets a gun and she kills, she kills Milo just straight up. Like, yeah, that feels like nothing. All that feels like is oh, Ian Reddington said he didn't want to be in the film anymore, so we'll just write him out. Yeah, again, no build up, nothing to no, sort of lay weight to it. Yeah, it was just like, oh, she got sick of no him. reason. 
there's no reason that Castor would have spared her either. Yeah. Because even though she was obviously trying to have like putting romantic advances onto Castor, he's oblivious to it all. He like evidently doesn't give a shit. There is yeah. no reason for him to to um to not just shoot her when he has her on the ground. Yeah. Just he... honestly not good. <laughs> Of course, during this scene as well, Milo says the title of the movie, which uh, is cardinal sin for any film to do. Yeah, there's one you've run out of ideas for your dialogue and just think, okay, uh, what what have we not put in all the, all the title? That'll the be cool. The audience will like that. The audience will pay for that. Exactly. They'll just love it. Which we They'll don't. Because it's bad. It's just not good. It's just... It, it, then of, I'm trying to. I I literally at this point, my um. My my memory goes into a blur because I'm. Does he go to see the bartender at this point to talk about like love or something, or does he? No. Or does he have a relationship comes, with Maria first? That comes a bit later. Um, what happens is basically, Gutenberg invites him back. John Baptiste and basically, again, nice guy move basically consoles him and mm. says, you know, you should have done what you should have done, which is kill her, which he entirely was, was within his motivations to, but he didn't for some reason. Um, so at this point, Savas decides to make stupid conflicts mentally where Castor is just like, okay, should I, should I kill the guy? Should I, should I kill Maria? Should I, or shouldn't I? It, Mm. This guy gave me a house. I don't want to do that. Just want to. Oh, should I kill Maria? I don't know. I don't know anymore. It's just why you know it was easy. Just kill her. Yeah. It's like he has no attachment to her outside of like official. The justification he gives was, "Oh no, she loved Marlo and saved Marlo's life, and Marlo saved my life, so I've got to look after her now." Yeah. I, I'm legitimately sure that's the logic and the rhetoric that he uses. Which doesn't make sense because he abused her. <laughs> exactly, it's just. And then he um, goes, and he he does he does a sleep with her. Yeah. He well, he, he before work. that, before that is the bar scene where he goes back the, to the pub, and, and he sees the guy, the the bartender, the bartender, and he talks about a deformed toe for like far too long. Yeah. He, basically, this this character. Should have got more runtime because honestly, the the actor yeah. performing as him was actually pretty good. Like he, he, was he a... kind of has that kind of charismatic, um, like the the kind of stereotypical bar owner thing where they're very um supportive and they understand kind of real life problems. Yeah. Um, it's just you know it, it was trying to be it was probably the most like funny bit of the film, honestly. Yeah, it's it's definitely the bit that. F- feels the most traditionally comedic. Hmm. And after that, of course, everything just returns to being completely bizarre and just outside of any convention of reality. So he decides to sleep with Maria and then he meets her dad. Maria's dad. Yeah. Who I I think we should point out is always topless and always carrying a sawn-off shotgun. Yes. Um, he's never not whenever he's in a scene he must be in those two forms he's never not in those two forms um and like when 
when he finds them after the morning after, he's not even angry that this guy has slept with his daughter. He just talks about, oh, do you know the Nazis never conquered? Oh, the Nazis took like six weeks to conquer the French, but they never conquered Crete. And then Mar- Wait, which is, again, weird because that was that was con- in conjunction with a running joke throughout the film about John Baptiste being French. You know, French. like not really French, maybe French a little bit. Where Castor yeah. goes, oh yeah, he's not really French. And then for some reason, her dad, for two minutes, just keeps going on about... Yeah, keeps going on about the Nazis and hating the French. And it's just like, what's the point? And then, my, my, and then you get my favourite bit of Castor's narration after it was like, he was right about the Nazis. And it's like, <laughs> right, okay, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, he's historically right about the Nazis, I guess. Like, how know that? He doesn't know about the Nazis. <laughs> exactly. How does he know? It's like, is he just assuming that he's correct because he's proven himself to be mildly more intelligent at the fact that he knows, like, how long it took for the French to be conquered? But, yeah. Yeah. There's no. There's no reason for Castor to know anything, even who the Nazis are. It's because just we. <sighs> And like Maria's dad has like no justification to join Castor for the climactic showdown. There's well, like I think, I think the justification is oh this guy is after my daughter, but he he wouldn't send anyone after it except from Castor because his own men he just doesn't seem to like. Yeah. Uh, no. Like, okay. I can. Okay. I can understand that. I guess. Yeah. Well, again, like that's double sided because on the one hand it would make sense for him to try and defend his daughter. But the guy just doesn't, you know. He, there's that guy who's trying to like set himself up as a rival against Caster, but he's only in it for two minutes throughout the entire film. Oh yeah, um, yeah. He's in like once he was yeah. He's like where he's talking to Jean. He's like, "Am I special?" No, yeah. and then he just goes away, and he's never in the film again. Yeah, well, he takes he takes over the business once the film ends. Well, no, I thought it was the um, I thought it was the drug dealer from the beginning who took over the business. Oh wait, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the it's the you know the the comedy drug dealer. He was the right. Hand, he became the right hand man, and then he goes, "I'm our special yeah. dealer." But it's so stupid. Um, so I think this entire final shootout though just feels prolonged and just com- like a complete nothing. Yeah, it's so, completely not like it's a complete nothing scene. Yeah, what what essentially happens is. We get background about Maria's dad's uh, character, mm. which is also just as bad as the other exposition and flashback scenes in this film, uh, because the guy doesn't seem to know how to hold a shotgun or aim it properly. Like he goes to, yeah, uh, yeah. he goes on a hit. Also, kind of speaking of the shotgun, I would also like to point out in that scene that Savas doesn't understand how a shotgun works either. He doesn't understand that it's a weapon with spread. Yeah, and and like he sets up Maria's dad as going on this hit as if he's using a precision weapon to kill this guy on a bench who's holding the baby Maria. But he's using a sawn-off shotgun, which has like a basically fires in like a cone. That baby would have died as yeah. well. <laughs> just, it's just, just very weird. It's these baffling, we like really basic logical 
inaccuracies that could have just been if you'd given him a pistol. Yeah. Silence pistol would make more sense, quite frankly. Also, why does he take his barraclava off when he's going yeah. to do that? Isn't the whole point that he's like, he's like, oh, he's an anonymous hitman, so he's supposed to stay in disguise. He, the only reason he takes off the barraclava is for the audience. Which... Who knows who it is, because we're in his fucking flashback. Yeah. So, again, just bad direction overall. And you can tell I'm losing the will with this, because... As we're going on, I'm just losing words for it. All, all, my entire vocabulary now is just like weird, baffling, and strange because I, I can't think of any other word to describe this film. It's just not good. It, it's bad. It's a bad film. Very, very bad. It's remarkably poor. Yeah. Um, and then we enter the uh, the climax of the film, practically. Which, uh, ooh. So... You can tell another point of influence that uh, was plastered all over this film that was made, just shoved in, on, on his sleeve, on Timothy Michael's sleeve, mm. was in Bruges mm. uh, in, this, in this last bit. The shootout is not good. It's not, you know, there's no sort of payoff. It doesn't, it's not done well. Um, it's as, as, just as the rest of the film, it's framed poorly. Uh, the camera just doesn't seem to want to go for any shot that feels particularly cinematic. The cinematography is off in every sense. The soundtrack, again, just seems to wander off on whatever genre it seems to fit. And we have uh, Maria's dad and Castor going up to this Dobby's garden centre compound to kill uh, John Baptiste and end this film in its entirety, which was a blessing Mm. by that point. Um, So, yeah. Kevin, what did you think of it? Um, what do you think of the, the film as a whole? I mean, what just what did you think just, of the scene though? Oh, um, I like that they. I can admire that they were trying to do something vaguely comedic with Castor and John Baptiste laying on the floor and them having this little bantery bit about like, oh, but you're already dead, and he's like, oh yeah, no, I am. Yeah. Um, then, but like that would have been a good fade out credits right cool i can go home now no the film just carries on for 10 more minutes and it's just the worst like the worst finishing like the worst way of wrapping up the story um this scene is i hate the way that this scene is lit as well it's not it's just in broad fucking daylight yeah there's no there's nothing dynamic about it there's no the saturation scene. Yeah. The, it's like when you look at the bar scenes can like compared to like scenes in Milo's house, the bar looks really oversaturated. Like they've just cranked up that meter. Yeah. And like everyone looks bathed in yellow. And then you go into Milo's house or you go into the garden centre and it's like weirdly washed out. Yeah. It's as if he, like, it's as if you like edited it. And looked for the presence of colours, and the more colourful scenes or backdrops, he just went, "Okay, let's ramp it up. Let's just, just make it brighter. You can see it." And then and it's, outside it's in this final just, bit, where yeah, everything should be, shit. yeah, everything should be cut out and laid out, and and and, and seem stylized, hmm. and as you know, punchy as Michael wants it to seem, but exactly. it, it just doesn't pay off. No, and like. And then, like, it just ends with two characters laying on the ground, shouting at each other. Yeah. 
Um, for no reason. And Maria's dad just dies. Yeah, he just he lays off two shots. Yeah, he actually kills John Baptiste with his gun and then just he dies. Does. So um, we don't even get the payoff of Castor. You know, of the guy, the protagonist. We don't even get that payoff of the protagonist killing the antagonist. No, there was no but conflict there. It was just the most you know, basic, like narrative arc for a protag- for a protagonist of, oh, they achieve some kind of satisfaction at the end by defeating the antagonist. Yeah. Honestly, just, just, just really, just really poor. dire. Yeah. Really di- and then I think the conclusion is potentially for me the worst narrative the worst narratively because um it's a lot of it's like oh caster got out of crime and he got had a babby and a, a wife with maria and yeah. then he's <laughs> and then it's oh look it's the guy with the eye patch from the beginning who remembers him for what we can assume must be months upon months after getting glassed once in this bar. Yeah, probably like over two years at this point. Yeah, because yeah, because Castor it's like um Castor works for like Milo and for uh John Baptiste for quite a while. Yeah. And then you know, when we see Maria at the end she's like quite heavily pregnant, so we've got to assume that that's that's like six or seven months as well. Hmm. And it's and just inexplicably, they just turn up in a uh, in a black four by four and shoot him twice. Yeah, in the stomach, where you could potentially recover from if gotten to a hospital incredibly quickly. Well, uh, that's the thing. <laughs> the The film ends with Castor basically laying down his life and being like, "Yeah, it ends here." Goodbye, everyone. Like Bo Burnham, end of Inside Special. Goodbye. Yeah. Plays in the background as a joke. That didn't happen. I wish it happened. That, that, happen. that would have been that would have been uh, the best piece of music in this film. Yeah. Um. And he just you know lays down his life, says goodbye, uh, and then the very end he just goes, "But but Milo really did save my life in the end, I guess after all." Because you go, oh. "Oh wait, of course he has the vest on, the fucking vest." Just. <laughs> It's so. It's the, and then grime, and then it's just grime music, <laughs> like grime. really badly made grime music. Alexa, play uh, play some British grime music, please. Alexa, play uh, the new album by Dave. <laughs> you you laugh. That is the name of an actual grime artist. He's just called Dave. Just Dave. Just Dave did a song called Funky Friday. Not MC Shitstick. Not MC sit, not MC sit, uh, not MC shitstick. No. Yeah. Unfortunately, no, we weren't graced with his presence today. No. But well, we we're kind of at the end here because that's the end of the film. And that's past that, movie. we we have very little to say. There's no trivia. There's nothing interesting in the background. It's just a, a dire mess. It's it's a quagmire of just absolute shit, poor framing weird design choices in terms of soundtrack and costume relevant to the film's overall presentation before the film was even shot you just can't make this shit up it's abysmal it's ridiculous um and to show you how ridiculous uh we think this 
film is. James, what do you think its Rotten Tomato percentage is? Uh, personally, I would rate it no more than a 2. Uh, or a t- 20%. Okay. I'd rate it no more than 20%. I get, I, I'm going to assume it's higher, Kevin. How high do you think? I think it's probably... At best, fifty percent. With an audience score of seventy-eight <laughs> percent, which means that um, this is an over. This one has an overwhelmingly positive <laughs> reception from around about fifty uh, fifty community ratings and reviews. There are only two critical reviews uh, from this movie. So if if we're rating this based on critical stuff, it would be a fifty percent, I guess, because one of oh, them yeah. is from the Guardian, uh, Kath Clark, who uh, rated it a one out of five and said original nah. Um, <laughs> and the the other the other review is from Alan N G, which I can only imagine is pronounced Ung. So Alan Ung from uh, Film Fret, who rated the film seven point five out of ten. Uh, and the little caption here is, my recommendation is if you're looking for a new gangster movie, you won't lose with original gangster. It's a good one to hold on to until the next one comes along. Basically, <laughs> that little caption is just, hey, if you want to watch a new gangster movie, this is a new gangster movie. <laughs> okay, cool. Thanks. This yeah, just came out on Sky Movies. Have a watch. But yeah, this is the weirdest thing. Like, the only... like super negative um like critical review i could find was from the guardian who is, um, yeah. reviewed it one out of five like everywhere seems to be two and a half and above or three and, or three and above and it's it's baffling because the film overall is so amateurish there's, yeah there's it's nothing, you know it's it, it, it's like written and directed by this one guy who does not know how to write and does not know how to direct. He just but this film still has one. two awards. Maybe remind you, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta remind yourselves that this film does have two awards and a nominee. Yeah, they were drunk with the nominations that year. <laughs> I want to know what you see. This makes me think. What else won the twenty, um, the twenty twenty one award? What was nominated for the twenty twenty one Hollywood Gold Awards? And I'm looking at it and like. I don't know anything that's in this award. There's a, the winner of best comedy short film, The Chronicles of Ganania. Oh, uh, like there's nothing, like nothing as part of this. Um, as part of this awards ceremony, it's like anything that you've ever heard of, which makes me think that it's just for like four people. Yeah. It makes me think like it's just made for their friends to submit films to. Mm. It's it's and just it's... a poor display. Yeah. Really, these ratings. I'm not really sure how it did this well because I, I couldn't find much good with this film. I don't think... Um, it, it's not even so bad it's good. It, it, it's just bad. It's just awful. It's a prime example of how not to make a movie. I can't even find... like I'm trying to find as much um, information about this movie as possible. I can't find a budget. I can't find... Um, just anything. The film didn't even have subtitles when I watched it on Prime. It doesn't even. It doesn't even have subtitles. They couldn't be asked so, with doing the subtitles on that day. They just. So if you're, if you're hard of hearing, 
you, you can't watch this movie. That's not um, necessarily a problem though, because you know, you know, you're better you're better off not watching it at all, really. Exactly. I'm it's gonna no see if I can find for most. No, is, it's you know, I. <laughs> Every time I look for the budget of this movie, it comes up with the 1996 movie Original Gangstaz, which had a budget of 3.6 million and was infinitely shorter and rated higher. Oh, just, yeah. yeah, there's nothing. I can't find anything about um, the budget. They say it's a dirt, was made on a, a dirt cheap, uh, was made on like a dirt cheap budget, made for like nothing. Yeah. Um, but nothing, literally nothing. I can tell you, can't even find anything about the box office. We, we, I see what the weekend box office performance was. Oh wait, you can't because it apparently didn't gross anything at at the domestic. I don't even think this film got a theatrical release actually. Because some like some terrible films like this get a theatrical release. Like The Room famously got like a, a theatrical release and it made no money. There was um. There was another film recently that I think got a theatrical release and made three thousand dollars. Yeah, just just three thousand at its at its opening weekend. I think that was the actually no, that was the fanatic. I think um, the fanatic made three thousand dollars. This movie, if we're to be believed, made nothing because it didn't even go to cinema because it wasn't even that good. Yeah, I cannot imagine watching this film on a eight K. IMAX screen, paying to see it in a cinema. I can't. This is the film that Chris Nolan believed would save cinemas. <laughs> it wasn't Tenor. It was original. Twenty twenties original gangster. That'll rope him in during the pandemic. That's Gollum. Yeah, we baited him. What a piece of shit movie. Just thoroughly awful in every sense of the word. Yeah, but that's our journey finished with. Original Gangster. We probably might not even make reference to it again because we're so tired we should, of it, frankly. We should this never talk exciting. about this again. Yeah. We've um, had fun yeah, bashing it, but it is tiresome to discuss. It is it really... Is. Oh. And speaking of uh, of tiring, mostly terrible things to talk about, um, I have an idea of what we could do next week. Well, not Ooh. next week, next time. Ah. Now... E3 has been recent, hasn't it? Yeah. And you, I I think we would consider ourselves um, epic gamers. I, I play them from time to time. We, we have occasionally played uh, video games. Yeah. Would you Would you like to talk for upwards of an hour and a half about video game movies and what goes wrong and if there are <laughs> any good ones? <laughs> no. Oh, that's the it, that's the bronchitis. That's the, uh, that's the conniptions. That sounds great, Kevin. I can't that's wait. Great. Can't wait to talk about video game movies. <laughs> you got worry, two man. weeks. You can. Well, we got two weeks. You can watch a lot of video game movies in that time. You've had a lot of praise from us so far, but now we're digging into the uh, the shit end of well, things. We're, we're getting into it. We got it. We've had three weeks of where we talk about products of relatively high quality. We can't do that anymore. We have to talk about some garbage to offset it. Yeah. Yeah. The balance has to be maintained. Have to y- keep yin and perfect yang. Perfect balance. Yeah. As all things should be. Exactly. Thank you for that hilarious um, and funny meme. Funny meme. Funny meme. But, um, yeah. This has been a good bit of keynote. Thank, thank you again for joining us. Um, 
whoever and wherever you may be. Um, um, next week, I keep saying next week, next time, because it is a gamer-themed one, it will be a, a pog bit of Kino, naturally. Because, of course, we've got to, we have to stay you relevant. each episode with a pog reference. I hate it. <laughs> pog, Why do you keep Alf. doing it? He's back in pog form. <laughs> no. Because that's pretty based. Uh, pog champ no. based. You've been um, corrupted. Do you know? This is what euthanasia uh, was made for. Oh my god! <laughs> I mean, yes, <laughs> it was made to stop the spread of the use pog cha- of pog champ. That's what it was for, Kevin. Of course, scientifically, that's why no one ever. That's why no one said um, pog champ up until a year ago. Can I very quickly say uh, after that joke? Um, I'm I'm very sorry. Thank you. I apologize. Well, if we receive any le- letters of complaint, I'll, this should only be directed to you because I put, partook in no reference to uh, to the euthanasia. Yeah. So, uh, sorry again. You apologize. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we've got socials: Instagram, Twitter. Uh, we do. Yeah, you can follow us, give us some cheeky retweets, or however Instagram works. Mm-hmm. Uh, and comment and and like would be very nice. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah. You can, yeah, you can find you can listen to us on all on like most of the good podcasting services. Yeah, you got your Spotify. No, we're on University of Radio York as well. Uh, yeah, other sources, all these sources that we're we're everywhere and nowhere. Yeah. Can never escape us. You don't want to like escape that. us. We'll, 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 we'll be there in your sleep talking about original yeah. gangster. Here, here come the granny one then. Here come the granny one then. Yeah. So, um, thanks for joining us again this week. Thank you, yeah. Thank you very much for sitting through this. Yeah. The worst, uh, the, the worst episode about the worst film. We promise we'll have more fun next week. Uh, we will. Yeah. Thanks. It'll be, it'll be better. Thank you very much. Yeah. Cheers. Uh, goodbye then. Goodbye. Alright.